Hello and welcome to Wellbeing. Today's episode, as always, is brought to you by Bertie Scrubs and by Jackson White Attorneys at Law. Today we have a special episode, as always, but today we have uh, my my partner in my law practice, Eric McDonald. So uh, typically I am asking questions to which I don't necessarily know the answers, but in this case, um, some of the questions I ask, I do know the answers. So um, I try my best not to sound like an infomercial, um, but this is a very intriguing episode, and I know everybody will like it, and I know everybody will like Eric as much as I do after hearing this episode. So enjoy, folks. It's a good one. So we have Eric McDonald with me. Um, this is kind of a, an interesting episode because Eric's my partner. Um, but go ahead and introduce yourself. Okay. I'm Eric McDonald. I have lived in Mesa for a good long 25 years. I've been at the law firm of Jackson White for that entire time. And currently, uh, I am partners with Tyler in an elder law practice that is part of the firm Jackson White. Yeah, so um, like I said, this is a little bit different because ordinarily I don't know anything about the person I'm interviewing. In this case, I know virtually everything about you, um, but I'm going to act like I don't know a whole lot and ask you some questions. Uh, and let's start with elder law. That's, that's kind of a vague term. Uh, why don't you define that for us? So elder law is a term of art that a group of lawyers probably 35 years ago coined. It is a practice that it lies between, say, estate planning, um, guardianships and conservatorships, and um, public benefits. And so not everybody who practices um, estate planning, which is wills, uh, trusts, uh, powers of attorney, uh, and not everybody who practices guardianships and conservatorships, which is when you have to go to court to make sure you have authority over a parent, for example, those lawyers in those practices don't necessarily practice in the area of elder law and vice versa. What elder law primarily is, is we talk to a well spouse who is dealing with a sick spouse with regard to long-term care issues, or we speak to children who are dealing with a parent who is facing long-term care issues. And we work with that well spouse or those kids to stretch the resources, organize the resources, and then apply for various benefits that are available, such as the Veterans Administration and Medicaid, which in Arizona is called Altex. Good explanation. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna use that next time someone asks my elder lies. I'll, I'll use parts of your your uh, definition. I'm going to try to exploit this a little bit and learn something new about you. And and so I'm gonna ask you. Um, I'm just gonna back up a little bit. Why did you become a lawyer? 
in undergraduate, I was a finance major, and I thought that I would involve myself on Wall Street. <laughs> so I really had no uh, ambition to be a, a lawyer uh, during undergraduate. By the time I became a senior, the market was kind of crazy back in, oh, late 80s. I can't remember exactly when it was, but it was in the late 80s. The, the market was poor. Uh, the interviews uh, were not ample. And a finance major basically allowed me to engage in uh, opportunities I wasn't very interested in. And I started to think to myself, what's the most difficult thing that I could probably do for me? And for some reason, I wanted to overcome that difficulty, and I decided to pursue a law degree. And after I spoke to a variety of different people who felt that the combination of a finance major with a law degree was a good thing, I believed them and went in that direction. And and when you went to law school, uh, did you foresee yourself doing what you're doing now? Is this what a lawyer looked like in your mind? Uh, by no means. When I went to law school, I, again, wanted to engage in merges and acquisitions. Uh, or at some point in time, I became interested in environmental law, so I thought I might pursue that avenue. I do know that our law school had a clinic, and they advised people who didn't have very much money or were indigent and one of the areas that they practiced was elder law. So I had heard about it, but it wasn't the highfalutin area that I thought I was going to jump into while I went to law school. No, no. Um, yeah, my first case here at Jackson White um, brought me to Washington, D.C., to the Supreme Court of the United States. And so that's kind of what I thought a lawyer was. And um, here I am now doing something quite different. And that was an interesting area for you. I remember, I remember when our firm was doing that and you were kind of the, the lead in that with regard to uh, the research and the gathering of the evidence. And, and that was very interesting. But yeah, that's very different than what we do now as elder law attorneys. It is. Um, would you say that being an elder law attorney, what kind, what, what keeps you here? Why is it fulfilling? I would say, so when I first started my law practice, I came to Jackson White right out of the Court of Appeals. I clerked with them for about a year and a half. And I began in an area of torts, which is personal injury and insurance defense. And I worked with my partner, Richard White, which is Tyler's father. And we practiced in that particular area. And that was, that was real lawyering. Uh, <laughs> as know, opposed it, to the fake lawyering we do now? Yeah, yeah, as opposed to... What, <laughs> because some people don't think that elder law really is a, is a practice. 
are, are real lawyers. But, um, you know, so there I learned about trial work. I, I engaged in depositions and trials and arbitrations and, and that. Um, but at that point in time, I just remember that nobody was ever happy. Uh, the, the plaintiffs, the, the clients who were plaintiffs weren't very happy because they were injured and, and maybe they weren't uh, receiving the, the type of rewards or awards that they felt they were entitled to uh, the, on the defendant action. The insurance companies were um, difficult to work with, and you're always trying to demonstrate that the plaintiff is a liar, in a sense. And so it was very unsatisfying to me. On the other hand, once we began this practice of elder law, you start working with families who are in a crisis. And I would probably say that 95% of our clients really like us. Um, once in a while, there's no chemistry and, or there's difficulty with a child. But I would say for the most part, um, our clients are always happy with what we do and what the result is. And that makes this practice very satisfying. So that's why I stay. Yeah. You know, I, I, um, I can't even tell you how many times I've received flowers or baskets of candy from my clients. And I kind of, it's, it kind of becomes just business as usual. Um, and then I receive a thank you card. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm really making an impact. And, and there is something very nice about that. And, and you know, it's not only for us, but quite frankly, it's for our staff. Oftentimes our staff end up getting these types of thank yous. Mm -hmm. And I almost appreciate that more because I just think that it allows our staff to realize how important they are to this particular mix. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and oftentimes our staff, they have, they have a challenging job gathering, you know, mountains and mountains of documentation, very hard. Um, and, and I think that those thank yous to them are what, are what uh, make them stay. And I want them to stay because I like all of them. But I almost appreciate those thank yous to them more than I appreciate it to me because oh, yeah. I've been here a long time. I've received my fair share and I, I appreciate my staff, particularly the staff that we have today, um, more so than ever before. And I appreciate them so much. I just want them to be appreciated by my clients too. Absolutely. Yeah, we have a phenomenal team right now. It's uh, definitely the best I've ever seen it. Um, so you kind of talked about this in a broad sense, but um, I want to talk about what a typical case looks like and why somebody would retain you. And maybe the contrast here is um, if you have an example that comes to mind of somebody that you consulted with and um, you told them what we could do and then they decided, hey, this is just filing a piece of paper. I can do this. And then they go, on, go out and do it on their own and then come back and say, uh, never mind. Um, I need your help. So maybe if you have that example, I have actually have a perfect example right now, back in 2019, let's say, I'm just going to pick that date. Uh, a client came to our office and had a consultation. 
and they had a chunk of money and they, I believe they visited with uh, my partner, Richard White and Richard White told them what we could possibly do for them. We always have to be careful as lawyers because we're not allowed to guarantee anything, but we've been doing this for 25 years. And so we pretty much know how a lot of cases will go um, as long as we're not surprised. But in any event, this particular client had a mom that was living with her and she just felt that, uh, that paying a legal fee would be too much and that all techs couldn't be that difficult to deal with. And so she would do it on her own. And what she ended up doing was flat out, she had a mom living at home. Her mom was getting worse and worse and worse. And she flat out transferred a bunch of money, probably over a hundred plus thousand dollars. And Altex doesn't appreciate penalties, um, doesn't appreciate gifts, excuse me, transfers of money from parents to kids. And when that happens, they create penalties. Can we can we just back up one step and, yeah. and define what Altex is first? Okay, Altex is the Arizona Medicaid program that helps pay for long-term care for people who qualify. And um, is that enough for right now? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so, and, and it also covers a variety of care from in-home care to group homes to assisted living facilities to skilled nursing facilities. Uh, indeed, Altex is probably, in my view, the best Medicaid program in the United States doesn't mean that they're not difficult to deal with. I just think that Arizona does a pretty good job running that particular program. In any event, so this lady um, uh, disregarded everything we said. She kind of transferred money on her own, thinking that she was spending it down. And all of a sudden, she, she applies for Altex, and she realizes that she had done everything wrong that you could do wrong. And she became a client of ours. And so now what happened is I can oftentimes fix these types of cases, but she did this one so wrong that she now is going, we're going to be applying for Altex. We're going to get the penalty uh, for all of the transfers that she made established. And then she's going to probably have to pay for care for more than a year on her own dime in order to resolve the problem. Now, down the road, we might be able to fix it with something called a hardship, but uh, we have to get on first and see what Altex says about the penalty, and then we have to get some more information to pursue a hardship. And quite frankly, I've never done a hardship while someone is still at home. Hmm. But she can't keep her at home. She has to place her in a group home, and I'm not sure if the group home will... Uh, do what we need him to do in order to demonstrate that hardship. Hmm. Yeah. So if she just would have come yeah. to me and we would have worked with her in December of 2019, I bet you we could have got mom approved and protected almost everything. <laughs> um, so how often does that happen? How often do people think that they can do it on their own? Well, uh, I would probably say 50% of the time, 
um, 50, you know, about, about 50 or, uh, you know, maybe 50 to 40% of the clients sign up with us who we talk to. Um, is that about right? I'd say so. Somewhere in that range. And so I would say the rest of them, uh, and I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that 50% do it on their own because sometimes we, we meet with people and there's just nothing that can be done or the case is so simple. We just tell them what to go and do. They don't really need us. But, you know, that portion of, you know, that, that some section of that 50% do things on their own. And I would probably say a good portion of them come back and then we're fixing a problem, which is far less palatable. Yeah. Or, you know, they go to, one of the good things about Jackson White, one of the good things about us is um, we've just been doing this for longer than anybody else. We, and we've done more cases than anybody else. We just have seen, there's not very often that, that a case comes across our desk that we haven't seen before. And so we kind of know how to do the Rubik's Cube. You know how some people do Rubik's Cubes behind their back <laughs> and over their head and they do it really fast? Well, I'm not saying we can really do it behind our back. And, but I mean, Almost. We're, yeah, we're very familiar with how that more than like we have a pretty good instinct on how that case is going to go. And the, the sad thing is, is a lot of clients go to people who have not been doing this a very long time. Sometimes they're not even lawyers and they don't know that they're not uh, given the best path. Mm -hmm. And so they only know that after the fact or, or they never know, or they never know. They think that everybody who files for Altex has to lose everything in order to qualify. That's they right. just think that's how it goes. That's right. And, and so that, that's, that's the unfortunate thing. And, and so we, we do try to, most of our, a lot of our practice is just trying to educate the public about the, the, the positive paths that are available to them. Yeah. Um, and at risk of sounding too much like an infomercial, um, what is, what is the, that positive path? We have a team of, I don't know, 25 people and that's a lot, right. To, to do something that seems pretty simple. Uh, why do we need that many people? What is a, what is a good, what is a, a good case look like and, and who all works on that case and touches that case? What makes it special? So a good case for us is a single client with perhaps a home and thirty to two hundred thousand dollars, or a married couple with a home with something from thirty to five hundred thousand dollars. So I mean, there's a there's not a there's not only one type of case. It's a it's a it's a big variety. Um, you know, if they really have nothing. If they have $2,000 in the bank account um, or $3,000 in the bank account and nothing else, well, that's not something we can really help with um, because we don't need to. They, yeah, they can, they can, they should be able to, they should be able to navigate the, the case themselves because that's just not that complicated. Um, and so when one of these kind of prototype cases comes to our office, what happens is there's a contact usually with one of our marketing team. And unlike a lot of places, our marketing team um, are made up of social workers who um, have the ability to connect and interface with 
care facilities and hospitals and discharge planners and clients. And so they are basically triaging the case um, as they are trying to provide comfort and support. Uh, that case uh, gets uh, set up to have an initial consultation. That usually goes through our partner, Richard White, and he will talk to somebody on the phone for, you know, the goal is about 15 minutes. It usually takes probably a little bit longer than that. Um, but he, he can pretty much understand whether this is going to be a case that we can help with or not help with. And sometimes that consultation goes into a second consultation, sometimes even a third consultation. But at some point in time, if it becomes clear that the client is interested in us helping them and, and pursuing a positive path, uh, they will connect with our front office. That's usually Rachel. And she will uh, gather more information about the case. Uh, she'll send out the contract, collect the fee, and set the case then up with either Tyler or me to begin the, the tactitional work, the, the work that is actually moving the assets around in order to, to get qualified for the system. In the meantime, uh, the clients are also working with our legal secretary in order to engage in a variety of legal documents. Um, and after that, we have an Alltex specialist who usually has worked for Alltex uh, in a prior life. And they then make sure we, I, we, Tyler and I already know that person's going to qualify if they follow the, the list of uh, the, the, the path that we've laid out for them. And then our Altex workers are our benefit processors is what they're called. They start gathering the information to make sure that they have everything to check the boxes with Altex. And then there's also one, a lady named uh, Laurie who, may or may not be needed to help with something called a Miller Trust. So we have a lot of touches on these cases as they come in. And that just presupposes that cases that aren't completely indigent need uh, are, are complicated, period. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Um, and and the, the, the ultimate outcome, and when they follow this good path, as you say, um, the, the primary objective is to help our client get the care that they need. And the secondary objective is to help the spouse or the family, the estate to preserve as many assets as are possible under the Altex guidelines. Yeah. And, and that normal, that happens best with a well spouse for the most part. And the whole purpose of that is, um, we just don't want our well spouses finally getting the care they need for their, their loved one and then selling pencils on the street by the time uh, he or she passes away, the, the, the sick spouse passes away. And so if we can try to preserve resources uh, the best we can for the well spouse, that's what we want to do. Um, for the, the children, what, what this pre nobody is going to get life-changing money because of the fact that we're not dealing with millionaires here. We're dealing with middle-class people. And um, whatever we can preserve through our uh, guidance then gives the children options that they otherwise wouldn't have um, had they just spent everything down. Mm -hmm. Now you are a 
now you have one path, and that is simply being a a patient underneath the Alltech system that has nothing. Whereas if we have some resources set aside, it allows kids to help other kids if those are needed, get mom or dad a private room, um, make sure that they have the right, you know, the, the burial celebration that they want. It just gives them options that they otherwise wouldn't have. That's how I've always looked at it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. There's one thing for people to understand is once you're on Altex, you you really uh, don't have a lot of disposable income. Maybe a hundred dollars a month is all you're entitled to. That's it. And and so if you need anything, you know, you need a new chair for your room if you're in a group home. You need. Um, some new clothes, you know, you really can't afford to get those things unless you have something set aside. So we can save a little bit enough to get clothes and chairs and stuff like that, stuff that they need. Yeah, yeah. So. And, and, and it really depends on the circumstances. You know, if there are disabled kids, we can protect the resources from them. And the whole purpose behind that is um, the state wants to make sure that we don't have two people going through this same particular situation. And so, but, but it, it's, it's, you know, it's tricky. And in order to make sure that we find that positive path, there's a, there's a lot of decision trees that have to be gone through in order to uh, get there. Yeah. Yeah. And if, I want to switch gears in a second, but I want to go back, circle back to one of the things you said. I can remember my first case or, you know, my first, <laughs> first hundred cases, maybe okay. spending like 50 hours on a case. Yeah. And, and now, I mean, it's not that I don't pay attention to them, but, you know, it's a lot less time. You know, it's, know, it's intuitive. I know how to do this like I know how to put on my clothes. And, and, and that's what I mean by the Rubik's Cube. You can teach somebody how to do a Rubik's Cube, but it takes a lot of time. And even if you have the instructions in front of you, you, you start doing it, and inevitably people mess up. One little turn, and it messes up the whole puzzle, and you have to start all over again. And at some point in time in this practice, you just know how the moves are going to need to be made. And if for some reason they come back with another issue that changes it, you know how to start moving it from there. Mm-hmm. That's what this pra- that's that's what the depth of this practice is. That's why you know being in this practice for about twenty five years has been valuable. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's been very valuable. Um, and and you. Um in fact, taught me to put the Rubik's cube together. So, and, and you know what? Let me let me. Tyler's special because I have tried to teach other people in my law firm how to do this, and it didn't happen. I'm pretty confident that I could teach. I could I could give classes on on how to do this, and most people wouldn't learn how to do it. And Tyler picked it up quite well, and. I would say that you know everything that I know. Well, thank you for um, giving me that, uh, prop. that information. Yeah, <laughs> that prop and and for teaching me. I mean, you you were my you were and are my mentor. So thank you. Um, and I do think it takes kind of a wonky kind of a mind to get it. I I know that I'm not. I know that I'm special. I know yeah. that I have a, a yeah, different way of thinking. Yeah, we're nerds. <laughs> you know, you do have to kind of be a nerd in order to to be in this particular area. Yeah. <laughs> Proudly. Um, so we've talked about how this will help um, 
folks out there, the middle class folks that, that come to us. A lot of our listeners, though, are healthcare professionals and work in skilled nursing facilities in particular. Um, why would it be advantageous for uh, folks who work in skilled nursing facilities to know about us and to utilize us? Inevitably, everybody runs out of money. Inevitably, everybody left on their own goes through the Altex process wrong. And what that ends up doing with skilled facilities, group homes, and um, assisted living facilities is it, uh, it, it, it creates this distance between the last dollar they got from the client and when Altex finally kicks in. There's this gap. And, and there's no payer source for that period of time uh, for that reason. And so the, the reality is, is in Arizona, 70% of the people uh, in care homes are on Medicaid, are on Altex. And, and so uh, very few facilities are non-Altex facilities, and they, they may try it for a little while, but they, most people come back because the reality is with Altex, there is a guaranteed payer source and that's what keeps our care homes uh, surviving. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, so what happens? What is the what hap- What's the concept of bad debt? What happens when uh, skilled nursing facilities uh, fail to um, either use us or get their clients on on Altex? What's What's the danger of this gap? Well, a care home has a certain number of rooms. And they're supposed to be generating income in each of those rooms. And when one of those rooms is either empty or is not paying, which is even worse, now, now the, the care facility has to take care of that person, but they're not getting paid in the meantime. And, and so uh, everybody can usually handle a little bit of that, but it, it makes that uncomfortable. It makes it frustrating. Um, It leaves, you know, it it potentially makes it so that you have to let people go or close down. It it just nobody wants to have um, people taken care of. No one wants to work for free. (laughs) That's the bottom line. None of us have the capability to work for free. Maybe Bill Gates does. But, (laughs) you know, most of us just don't have that luxury of being able to work for free. Us as lawyers don't. And I know skilled nursing facilities don't either. Exactly. I had a, so we, as you know, partner with many skilled nursing facilities and, and I had a facility contact me a couple of years ago. This is kind of my best uh, skilled nursing facility story. Um, they contacted me. They had a, they had a resident who um, hadn't paid for many, many months. And I don't know if I told you this story actually, but it, they, they had, they had about $150,000 of bad debt. Oh. And um, so, you know, why they didn't contact us sooner, I don't know. But they waited until they were 150k in the hole to contact us, and um, and when they did, we found out that the woman, um, uh, I'll call her, I'll call her, um, I'll call her Johnny. Uh, the woman named Johnny um, didn't have capacity, and so we couldn't access her bank accounts. And so the first thing we had to do was um, rope in our associate to get a conservatorship and he did a he did a fantastic job Um, but that took several months as it always does and so you know they're getting more and more bad debt as this goes on 
we get the conservatorship in place and um, we appoint the conservator. And this is somebody, somebody we know, it's a private fiduciary and, and she does her due diligence and finds that Johnny um, owns a bunch of property. She owns some uh, trailer home parks and, and the trailer home parks are filled with tenants. And she has a son who uh, lives in this trailer home park and has posted a sign on a tree uh, that says, give all checks to Tommy. His name's Tommy. <laughs> and so, I mean, it's like the Winnie the Pooh sign, right? <laughs> and, and, and so he's taking all these checks. And as you know, uh, those, are, those are all considered transfers because he's now taking money that's supposed to go to mom, Johnny. And so Altex presumes that those are all gifts. And so on top of the bad debt, now we have tens of thousands of dollars of gifts that we have to reconcile. And, and so um, we, we do some more due diligence, come to find out uh, Tommy, the son, is a meth dealer, has a meth lab in his trailer. <laughs> so the plot thickens. And uh, so we prosecute Tommy and, and show all text that he, in fact, was stealing from mom. She wasn't giving to him. And so we get the, we get the uh, penalties waived. And then we sell the trailer home park to a, a buyer of businesses. And uh, now we have a ton of cash. And so we were able to pay back all the bad debt and get um, get Tommy, mom, or no, Johnny. I don't know why I use the name Johnny, but we get, <laughs> we get, we get Johnny, mom, on the program um, by using what's called the pooled trust. And to my knowledge, we're the only law firm that has, this sounds more and more like an infomercial as I yeah. go on, but yeah. we're the only law firm in the, <laughs> yeah. in the state that, uh, but we are, we are. We have a pooled trust, which is a special trust that we can transfer assets to in some cases. So we use the pooled trust to get her on the program, pay off all the bad debt, eventually get her on all text everybody's happy i mean the, the still nursing facility is happy um uh, johnny mom she was like the kindest um lady ever she had dementia and she was just like a puppy and everybody mm -hmm. loved her like she was just like she just lit up that building and uh so she was happy um uh, Tommy, the son, unhappy. You know, yeah, he's he the, the only unhappy party. He's the unhappy person. He's in, he's in prison now. Uh, oh my yeah, goodness! Yeah, so that that's uh, that, you know that's not every case, obviously, but that's kind of the, my example of why a skilled nursing facility would want to use us. Um, <laughs> You're right. I have not heard that one yet. <laughs> wow. Uh, so um, I want to I want to figure out how to have you back as kind of a recurring figure on this show. Um, yeah, that would be, be fun. So we'll talk about that. But I want to ask you a couple of questions before we adjourn. And these are just kind of questions that I ask everybody, um, because this has kind of evolved into maybe a wellness podcast of sorts. And so um, do you have a specific story? And we've kind of touched on this, maybe I'm asking, man, being redundant here, but do you have a, a specific example? Or do you have a, a specific, a specific um, illustration upon which you draw on the days that you just are kind of feeling burned out. What what keeps your fire going on the days when you think I'm driving into the parking lot again? Um, I, I don't know if there's a specific example, but I can I can just say that I have doing this over about 25 years. Uh, we have had good employees and bad employees. Um, and we've had all of the struggles of growth and, 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 sh and, uh, diminishment. Um, 
And, and currently right now, it's just, I, I like my clients. I like my staff. Um, and that just, that makes this practice uh, uh, very good. I, I, I enjoy, I enjoy work. I don't, I don't, there was, I didn't have that feeling when I was doing the other type of work, mostly of personal injury and, and just fighting with lawyers all of the time. There just was no satisfaction to that. Uh, this, you're dealing with clients every single day. Um, for the most part, the clients uh, seem to like us. And, um, and, and for the most part, there's good chemistry between us and our clients. And if there's not, then, you know, I might take Tyler's client or he might take my client. And, and it, we, just, we just make that all work. Um, but, but it's nice to have a place. It's nice when the, when your work environment is, uh, fulfilling. And I think that's what, that what, that's what keeps bringing me back. Yeah. Yeah. And as you said that, that resonated with me as well. Um, yeah, I just felt kind of a warmth in my heart when you said that. Yeah. It all resonates with me. Um, our, our, our employees, at least I always look at them as family. And, and so when I know, I know Jackson white, isn't the place for everybody for every, you know, forever. Um, but I would like most of our employees to be here forever. And when they leave, it's kind of like a kid going off to college and it's, it, there's a, there's a loss for a while. Yeah, there really is. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I love our work family right now. And it hasn't always been that way. I haven't always loved everybody, but I feel like I do right now. No, there, I mean, I remember a time, I think it was even before you were here, ugh, my staff fight fought all the time. And I, uh, I almost didn't like coming into work because all I knew is they'd come in my office and complain about everything, but, uh, <laughs> or, oh, or and we were, we were kind of elbow deep in, in litigation with all techs. And that got, that got, um, yeah, that, that was, got rough. That was but right you, when I came on. That's, yeah, that's yeah. how I was introduced to this practice. Everybody hated everybody, and it was um, a big fight. Yeah. yeah, it was. But you know what? This is this is one of the things that we have done over the last uh, long. What we've learned with Altex, and again, I, I, I mentioned already that I think that they are a system that is a cut above all you, all of the other Medicaid systems in the United States. I get to know um, these other systems because. Uh, there's a group of lawyers um, that get together, and and I know lawyers from almost all of the different states, and I hear their woes, and and it's not, and again, it's not that Altex is giving anything away, it's just there's a lot of logic behind Altex and how they do things. Um, you know, when when lawyers treat the Medicaid office as adversaries, that's what they're going to get in return. And I think that we have developed pretty good relationships with those at Altex. Um, I respect them. I respect what they do. Um, I, I think that the lawyers over there are great lawyers. I think that the, the workers over there, um, either they're new and they're starting and, and so they have lots of potential or they've been around and sometimes we disagree, but, but I, I respect what they do because I think we, all, we, we both have the same goal in the end, which is taking care of, taking care of people in this, in this setting. But I think that perspective makes our association with Altex better. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I, I, I do recall my introduction to this practice, and it was, um, you know, going to it was federal court. And yeah, we were, we were. It was a there was a civil rights case that we brought, and over we just didn't think Altex was doing things right. But again, we kind of got into a lot of it was with the employees that we had at the time, and we were there was just not good chemistry, and we were fighting with Altex. Altex knows that we will take a case when we need to. Um, but it always is, uh, in my view, respecting those lawyers as uh, ladies and gentlemen of the court. And um, it's just not the same adversarial approach that I used to experience uh, in the tort field. Yeah. And, and to, to your other point with, with uh, staffing, I can remember being a young lawyer in you know not knowing anything about anything and then spending like half of my day as a mediator with the employees you know so one would come in the other would come in then i bring them both in like, is this what my job is this what i'm gonna do with my job yeah and it was hard and that's gonna happen in a lot of different fields but you know for some reason things are pretty good right now yeah Yep, count our blessings because uh, hopefully they'll say as we prefer. Um, so this is a, this is another question that I, I try to ask everybody. Um, you've illustrated uh, that your our profession is one of, for the most part, giving. Um, we're trying to help, um, but you can't give away what you don't have. And I I know this from my experience um, when I'm not fit. Um, when I'm not, when I'm not mentally, emotionally, when I'm, when I'm not fit, I, I have very little to give away. So I have to do certain things to make sure I, my cup is full mm-hmm. so I can give to my clients, my yeah. employees, you, et cetera. What do you do to keep your cup full? Um, well, you have to realize that even though, you know, even though you like your practice, um, my law practice isn't my whole life. And so I try and fill things up with, other things that I like to do. And so, uh, you know, part of that is being involved uh, with my family. Uh, That's probably the most important thing, Uh, making sure that my, I'm 56 and my kids are in that launching phase. And I'm just, you know, my satisfaction comes as my kids are launching through college. Um, You know, I I like, I like exercise. Um, I like uh, act, activities. I'm limited because I have some back issues. Uh, I just had a fusion surgery. And so I'm kind of sitting here on this cushion right now, but it went great. Uh, Barrows is the mm-hmm. best place in the world to go for f- any kind of back issues. Thank goodness. It's getting yeah. better, man. Yeah. It's been tough. It, it's been a, it's been a rough year. Um, and then, you know, we, I, I have a, you know, I have a religious community that I kind of involve myself with. It's kind of a micro, it's not really a macro involvement, but, um, but that's important to me too. In fact, uh, a lot of people in that community do different things. The thing that I've found that I like to do is I find out who is having, who's been sick with COVID. That's how it began or who has a broken leg or is sick or something happened with their their grandchild and I text them. I find out what kind you know, I eventually find out what kind of candy bar they like and I drop off a candy bar and it is amazing how happy people are to get their favorite candy bar. Hmm. It's, it's just something that I have been doing for basically the last year. 
you know, you've told me that this is the third time you've told me that. And, and the first couple of times you told me that I thought you were just kind of speaking euphemistically. I thought uh, like you were saying, yeah, I just gave candy bars to people when there's when they're sick. I thought that was kind of just like, um, you, you did it if it was convenient, but now I'm understanding that it's a, it's an intentional practice. And, yeah. And yeah. that's, that's super cool. So I keep my, you know, I don't know everybody who is going through a problem, but Liz and my wife and I are kind of situated in a, in kind of the center of a lot of different circles uh, that kind of, you know, a Venn diagram. And so a lot of, we, we hear of troubles that people have and, um, and I, I, I constantly ask various people who I think might be in the know about that too. And, and when I find that out, I may not know them perfectly, but I kind of am an acquaintance or maybe I'm a really good friend, but um, I like to text them. I like to ask them how they're doing, tell them, you know, I'm sorry that they're going through that. Maybe empathize with them about some of the things that I've been going through. And, and then I drop off that candy bar and boy, they are happy about it. Mm. It's just so interesting. To, and, and you know, it's the most interesting thing about it is when I first decided to do this, I thought everybody would like Snickers, Twix, peanut butter cup or M&Ms. And I, so I, 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 I stocked up on that. And then I started realizing some people like women like dark chocolate and some people, one person wanted a mint Twix and one person wanted a Mr. Good bar. And, and so I, I catered to that and I'll just go and pick that up. And again, it, it just shows me how interesting people are, how diverse people are. Wow. And, and, um, Anyway, I, I have really enjoyed, I keep getting asked if I want to do something different in, in my religious circle. I say, no, this is my, this is what I do. And, wow. and, and everybody just kind of chuckles at it, but it is, it is something that I really like doing. Have you noticed any trends, uh, in terms of, uh, candy bars <laughs> and personality traits? Uh, n not no. really. I'm just, I'm just surprised at how different everybody's taste is. I yeah. thought, you know, you kind of, th everybody thinks that they're, you know, everybody thinks in a monolithic way. Oftentimes everybody, you think everybody's like you and it's just not that way. We learned that we learned that this last year with politics and with how, how people react to COVID and masks and vaccines and everybody is different. And, and I've just kind of learned to give people space, realize people are different. And this whole candy bar thing is just something that's been demonstrated to be consistent with that. That is, can I steal that from you? Oh yeah, absolutely. That is super cool. And, and the, the differences you see in candy bars is just a microcosm of the differences that, that we see with people. Yeah. 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 And I, what's, what I like about that practice is you're giving them what they want. So oftentimes I like this, I like this really expensive ice cream and, uh -huh. and it's, um, it's dumb that it's this expensive, but it is better than other ice creams. It's uh -huh. just, it is just, um, uh, De definitionally better. It's just a better ice cream. But I assume that everybody thinks like I do, and I assume they'll appreciate it like I do. So, so if I give a gift, sometimes I will get my ice cream and give it to people, and they don't they 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 don't appreciate it like I do because they're different than I am. So what I like about what you're doing is you're actually taking the time to find out what they want and not imposing what you want on their on them. Yeah, like my sister says, oh, you can go to Costco and buy all these candy bars for cheaper. And that's just not what the purpose is. I don't want to give them what I like. I want to specifically find out what they want. And sometimes it takes a little while. Oh, I don't, I don't eat candy. Sometimes Everybody you do. Eats candy. Everybody <laughs> eats candy once in a while. And if you, it, it's, you know, again, some people want, um, 
the M&M version of peanut M no peanut butter M&Ms. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just been so many different different things that I never would have thought about. But anyway, it's <laughs> super a, cool. It is awesome. I am I am going to uh, I'm going to say I'm going to steal that. I hope I really do. Oh, I yeah. really like that practice. That sounds awesome. And that is a, a, a great place to end. I think we've kind of touched on everything. So I hope to have you back. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to the Well Beings Podcast. Tune in every Thursday to hear the latest episode. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. As always, thank you so much for listening.